We often hear it said that there is a time for peace and a time for war. In fact, it's in a reading from the book of Ecclesiastes that's often chosen for Remembrance Sunday. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time for peace and a time for war. And my heart rebels against it, and I think probably yours does too. A scripture reading, could this be the word of God? Or perhaps you've come to terms with it in that this is where we are. And the best we can do in our times is to try to avoid war and mitigate its sufferings. There is always a conversation going on in Scripture and among and within us. Because Isaiah tells us that the day is coming when they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And on a day like today, it is a word that brings us both a wave of sadness at the same time as it holds out hope. The day is coming. And Isaiah also speaks of the one who is coming who will be called the Prince of Peace. These texts weren't written in a time of security, but a time of war, defeat, and exile. And we even see that grain of gospel hope in the depths of Job's misery in that reading that Lucy brought us. Within the book, he shifts from cursing the day he was born and everyone has turned against me, my bones cling to my skin, to I know that my Redeemer lives and that in my flesh I shall see God. And in the terms of the, the word redeemer that's used there, it is the one who will bring justice for me and liberate me by bringing justice. He sees no justice in what has happened to him. Yet he has a belief that at some level that it must be and someone, God, will speak for him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in the face of disputes in the church, St. Paul decided to preach only of Christ crucified, even though the message was judged to be foolish. From a lot of viewpoints, Jesus' mission failed. He died a shameful death, and his friends forsook him and fled. It looked like failure. Many people would have seen that so. But we know that a group carried on. But for Paul, the folly of the cross is the wisdom of God to reconcile the world. It is about peace. And when he's up before Pilate, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would be fighting to save me from being handed over. I think it's one of the clearest statements there. Now, not of this world, but I don't think it's that's about when this earth passes away, although 2,000 years on, there might be a temptation. For the New Testament, the word the world usually refers to the powers of this world rather than the earth itself. Christ's kingdom is where things are done his way where things are done Christ's way, 
the way. That's the kingdom. And it's not like the Roman Empire, nor any of the superpowers of today that are ultimately maintained by the power to kill, by weapons, capital, and war. It brings life, life abundant. And Paul searches this thought deeply when he writes to the Corinthians, God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I have to think of that as being like the way that plants will eventually come up through concrete. A weakness is a way of working, an idea of power that is very different from our idea of power. And Jesus knows that we won't get it, or not quickly. At his bleakest, he will say, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. And at his saddest, as he looks up at the city on a hill, If you, even you today, knew the things that make for peace, but you're not willing. So the call is to peace, but I can't stand here today and say that I'm 100% pacifist, because we are here now in the world that Ecclesiastes writes about, and moral questions aren't abstract. We have to act in response both to those principles, and, but also to the particularities, the needs, the demands of each situation. Often there is no best, and the choice is for the least worse way of responding to what is happening. So today we remember our servicemen and women with gratitude and honor and sadness, thankful to people who are willing to give their lives for others, for the safety and freedom of their people. They're in the thick of the way life is, and they risk everything. They give loyalty, and they accept the discipline of obedience to commands. They may have to cope with conflicting commandments when they're asked, for example, to cover up for human rights offenses in war. They live under an obligation of obedience, but there is more than one layer. The reading that Crispin just brought us reminds us that keeping commandments is an act of love. Those keeping the commitments they have made can lead them into not only death, but to suffer long-term illness. Now, for whether you're a combat or you're a non-competent in war, or in other forms of suffering. Suffering is always individual and specific, as well as something that is often collective. And today we have a reading from Job about his anguish and this mysterious strand of hope that emerges as the book develops. That in the face of such loss... Now, Job... Everything is taken from him. His family, his status, his health, everything that he has. And his is a book that plums the depths before it gradually gets to that statement of, I know that my Redeemer lives. It seems to come from nowhere. 
we see him, we found him sitting on a dung heap covered with boils. And he has called God on it. But he has a rooted faith in God. He has always tried to live well. And as his, as his meditations on and what happens to him develops, he sees not only his own, what he feels, unjustified and undeserved suffering, but the, su the suffering of the innocent in general, whether through oppression, corruption, disaster, sickness, or war. Sometimes in war or natural disaster, we're thankful that casualties were light. It could have been much worse. But of course, if the one casualty is your person, it's 100%. And as I was thinking about this, this um, sacrifice that's made today, I remembered a woman who spoke on Radio 4 about learning of her son's death in Iraq. It's some years back, but it has stayed with me. Here's what she said. I was gardening, and I saw two men in suits going to the front door, and I knew but I went over, and they asked to come in and talk to me. I said, no, we're very busy. I'm afraid you can't come in today. And they said again that they would like to talk to her. And again she said, no, we're very busy today. And they did it a third time. But eventually, she had to let them in. Job speaks for people in suffering. His friends come to bring him spiritual comfort. These are the people that are known as Job's comforters. By telling him to accept that his suffering must have been caused by his sins. God is just. This has come on you because of your sins. And they go around this circle of conversation a few times, and Job maintains his no. Eventually, a, a small concession, yes, even if I've done some wrong things, I haven't deserved this. I've got another page here, I hope. Yes. Even if I have done some things, I haven't deserved this. So the book asks us some hard questions. Are you a believer because you think it, it will actually give you a better, easier life, that will give you and your children the things you hope for? Is there any such thing as faith that is disinterested or disinterested in what we think of as normal human hopes and expectations for happiness? to believe and trust in God for nothing. That's one of them. And the other is, what can we say about God in the face of, in the midst of such suffering? The liberation theologian, Gustavo Gutierrez, has written a book on Job, God Talk. How can you talk about God and the suffering of the innocent? And he says this, our misfortunes make us turn in upon ourselves and see ourselves as the center to which everything must be related. Other persons, and even God, whom we thus turn into our servant. 
And if there's an element of injustice added, it can produce resentment and rejection of the presence and existence of God. He's asking us to think very big, isn't he? To look at ourselves in the bigger picture, not as the center of everything. But the element of injustice, how does he deal with that? How does Job deal with that? Isn't God supposed to be in control? Job comes to the conclusion that God is not handing out rewards and punishments. And yet he continues to call and question him. He continues to believe that at some deep level, God is there with us. Why do you pursue me? He says. And God answers him out of the whirlwind with a batch of questions. Were you there when I created everything? Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck? Do you make it leap like the locust? I make rain fall on desert for creatures that you don't know exist. You're not in a position to understand certain things. And Job has already declared God to be unsearchable. Now it seems he is. So when I first read Job, I felt this wasn't really an answer. However, What God does say that helps is that he says, Job was right. Job has spoken correctly. And Job's comforters, so-called, will have to pray for him if they want to be forgiven. God doesn't explain suffering. Yet somehow, Job is satisfied. Because perhaps... Obviously, it's important that God said he spoke correctly. But I think most of all, it is because God came and spoke to him and was with him. And that was what enabled, I believe, that strand of hope that stayed with him to say in the midst of his misery, you know, I know that my Redeemer lives. The relationship of God seems to be a communion of two freedoms, God wants to work with us for peace, but with consent. God wants to work with us with consent. Creation is given freedom. And we think of all the myriad living creatures and systems all on their own trajectories. I don't think there's a blueprint, but there is a direction towards consciousness, awareness of relationship. And in the face of all our difficulties, there is the call that we all know, the call to love. Where is the peaceful kingdom to be? Here, here. As we are told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are to hold on to that hard-won hope that people hold on to, and people amaze us, don't they, often, how they hold on to hope in great hardship. Be my people, says Christ. Be my hands and feet. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will send you an advocate, someone on your side forever, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. It actually parallels what, what Job cries out for 
and believes that he has, I will send you someone who will speak for you and to you, the spirit of truth. And as the old translation puts it, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you.